Hello, and welcome to In All Things, a podcast of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, a global movement of Evangelical Presbyterian Churches. Thank you for joining us. I'm Rachel Joseph. Your host for In All Things is Dean Weaver, Stated Clerk of the EPC. Our prayer is that God uses Dean and his guests to both inform and inspire you about how God is working in and through the EPC. The motto of our family of churches is, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, in all things, charity. Now, here's Dean. And thank you again, Rachel, and thank you to all of you who have tuned in again for another edition of In All Things. Our podcasts drop every Friday at your favorite podcast platform, whether it's Spotify or Apple, or perhaps you just go to epc.org and you'll find In All Things. We appreciate you tuning in. We appreciate you liking us on social, sharing it with others. Uh, We're coming up quickly on our one-year anniversary of the launch of this podcast, and uh, this is a conversation in our first year that is largely focusing on people inside the EPC and for the Evangelical Presbyterian Church. But we've we've had some conversations too where people have listened in over our shoulders to things that have been said that would be of great value and benefit regardless of the denomination you're in. If you're a follower of Jesus, hopefully some of these conversations have been encouraging and edifying to you as well as I think our conversation today uh, will be. As we approach our second year, we're probably going to be looking at uh, maybe some more topics and how do we do things like maybe a, a series of people who are really thinking about evangelism and what that looks like or about missional outreach and what that looks like or people who are looking at uh, mentoring and discipleship issues. So we're going to be looking at some topical things that we hope will again have broader application, but we'll continue to use as much as we can EPC authors, uh, EPC uh, thought leaders, influencers, and uh, we hope that you'll continue to tune in and continue to spread the word. Um, Our broadcast today is brought to you by the Ad Interim Committee for a Pastoral Letter of Racial Lament and Hope. And you may say, what in the world does that mean? Well, at this last year's General Assembly, we passed and agreed that we would form an ad interim committee. And what that means is it's appointed by our moderator. It reports directly to our General Assembly, and it's usually a committee that has a certain shelf life. In this case, it's about two years. And so it's not a permanent committee. It's not a standing committee. It's an ad interim committee. And a pastoral letter is just what it sounds like. It is a letter written not so much to people outside the EPC, but inside the EPC. And it applies something typically that might be in a position a paper or some uh, doctrinal statement where people are saying, well, how do we live that out? How do we help shepherd the people in our congregations regarding this particular issue? And uh, we have 16 different pastoral letters and position statements over our 43 years as a denomination, but we've yet to write one that dealt with the issues of racial inequity and uh, issues of reconciliation, of ethnic strife and understanding and all the different things that have been baked into this cultural moment in which we live where people are beginning to explore those conversations. And we realized that perhaps the first place to start, and it's not the last place and it's not the only place, but it's at least the first place to start, is by entering into that space in the biblically true and tried practice of lament. Uh, It's an entire book of the Bible by that name, the book of Lamentations. Uh, Jesus lamented. It is a 
tried biblical thing, not just for individuals, but for entire groups, entire nation of Israel. So we start with that, but we end with hope because the gospel uh, paints a picture of something well beyond and better than Eden, even in the new heavens and the new earth, a place where every tribe, every nation, every people, every language are this beautiful, purposeful uh, symphony of sight and sound and celebration and uh, life, a life that is truly life. But we live in that space between the already and the not yet. Jesus has already died for that, but it's not yet been realized in our time, and yet we long for it and we move toward it. As Jesus told us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We see what it looks like in heaven, but we see what it doesn't look like on earth. So we pray uh, for that, and part of that prayer sometimes is a prayer of lament, and sometimes that prayer is a prayer of deep hope. And so we have a committee that is writing a letter to the EPC, it's pastoral, it's biblical, on the idea of racial lament and hope. And I hope that you'll pray for our sisters and brothers who are on that team over the next two years, that they would find the mind and heart of God and help lead the EPC in a biblical and pastoral discussion around this incredibly important issue because it relates to the Imago Dei. What does it mean to be made in the image of God and how we understand one another and relate to one another? And So it's a first part of our conversation, and uh, we hope that that conversation is one that glorifies the Lord and edifies one another in the EPC. So pray for that group. And speaking of that, our guest today is someone who's a member of that team. Marcus Ortega wears a lot of different hats. And uh, see, he is the assistant pastor at Goodwill Church in New York State. He's also the lead campus pastor for one of Goodwill's campuses in Beacon, uh, New York. He's also in charge of all the mission outreach for the Goodwill kind of family of churches. And he sits on the World Outreach uh, National Committee for the EPC. And so where's that hat? He is also one of the, I think, co-founders and facilitators of something called the Antioch Room. We're going to talk about that in just a brief second. And now, as if he didn't need more to do, he has <laughs> agreed to serve on this uh, ad interim committee of for a pastoral letter of Racial Lament and Hope. Marcus Ortega, welcome to In All Things. Thank you. I, I think that's my favorite title that I have, is I'm a member of the moderator-appointed ad interim committee writing a letter. Ad, I can't even say Pastoral it. Pastoral letter. Pastoral letter yeah. on Racial Lament and Hope. It's We're good at naming things. Yeah, the the, question, the, the well two done. questions remain is, can you fit that on a business card? <laughs> and can you come up with an effective Presbyterian acronym for that? Because I would we, love you gotta have acronyms. that. Yeah, you got to have acronyms. It'd be like a four-syllable acronym. Yeah, how else do we keep people out of our club unless we have acronyms? That's it. That's yeah. yeah. It's not we don't have the tulip because we like flowers. <laughs> That's, That's right. Not, yeah. That's right. That's right. <laughs> All right. So, Marcus, let's rewind the tape so that those who are listening can get to know you a little bit better and create some context. Talk to us a little bit about your story, your growing up, your background, and, and particularly your call to the ministry. So I, I grew up at the border of uh, Arizona and Mexico, and so actually my dad was born in a hospital in Douglas, Arizona in 1928, and I was born in that same hospital in 1986. So there's quite a bit of a generation gap between right. my dad and I, and even my dad and my mom. But I grew up there at the border, uh, spent my whole 18 years within about a 30-minute you know, drive from the border, and, and that was really influential in, in how I understood the world, how I how I saw some of the some of the ethnic issues that are there. You know, I, I was sharing with the committee that 
Um, I, I didn't grow up around a lot of African Americans. I grew up around it was it was Mexican Americans and and Caucasians. That was your and your ethnic background. Your father is Mexican. Father's Mexican, and your um, mother is Welsh. Welsh. Yeah. So she yeah. was uh, born and raised in Cardiff. Okay. And uh, they actually that's met really in Welsh. Cardiff. Yeah, that's not, no, I mean, just kind of Welsh. That's really Welsh. All the way in. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we, we root for Cardiff City and root for the Welsh national team. And we, we do all of the Welsh wow. things. Wow. And so, you know, I, I grew up in this sense of ethnic otherness because I didn't really fit a lot of the Caucasian people I was hanging out with because I was also half Mexican-American. Also, my mom was an immigrant. So that added another dimension to yeah. it. But I was also raised intentionally, uh, by my father at least, without the language and without the culture. So Because he thought that was a better way for you to fit in and yeah. a better way for you to succeed. Well, and I mean, he did things on his own. Instead of going by Jose, he went by Joe. He didn't speak with an accent. He's one of the few people I've ever met who completely removed their accent. So he did everything he could to assimilate into the culture of Arizona and raised me to do the same thing because he saw that as advantageous to my own growing up and, and success. And so, you know, I, I grew up, I was an only child. I have uh, brothers and sisters from my dad's first uh, marriage, but I, I don't know them. I've never really known them. So grew up as an only child, grew up kind of without a culture, um, did grow up in the church. So in many ways, I'm grateful for that because the, the evangelical world kind of became my culture which had its own drawbacks later, but at least I didn't feel completely alone. But there was no real sense of belonging. I'd always wanted to belong to something. Where I grew up, where there's not much around, you kind of have to just make it work. So I, I got into music, I got into, really got into politics. And by the time I got married and was looking for grad school, we moved across the country for me to get into politics. That's We went from Arizona to Philadelphia. There was a school in the Philadelphia area that had a degree in Christianity and public policy. I'm going to do that. And we moved across the country and I enrolled. And while I'm filling out that paper enrolling, I realize if I get that degree, all I can do is politics. But this school also offered an MDiv. So I said, well, let me do the MDiv instead because I can still do politics with an MDiv. Lots of reverends do politics. Or the door is open for me to head towards the ministry. Within a couple of years, firstborn, had come along, I'd taken some time off, and the, the call to the ministry just became more and more clear. Uh, I was serving at a church, fellow EPC church now. They, they weren't at the time. It was at Langhorn. Uh, Langhorn right? Presbyterian, right. yeah. They were still in a, in a different denomination, but had been serving there. The pastor there at the time, Bill Teague, was identifying some some gifts and some, some sense of calling towards the ministry. Other people in the church were as well, and I, I kind of grew up with a jaded view of the church. I have a lot of church hurt in my background. And so going into the ministry was never something I really wanted. I just kind of felt pulled to it. My wife certainly wasn't interested in becoming a pastor's wife, I'll tell you that much. But there there I ended up, you know. And, and as I realized eh, the call of the ministry is getting more and more intense, changed schools, went to Westminster Theological Seminary. And, uh, you know, I'd grown up a dispensationalist my whole life. And, and that works really well at Westminster. It really does. Yeah. yeah. I mean, thankfully, <laughs> thankfully, by the time I got to Westminster, I had, I had kind of rejected that system of doctrine, but I didn't replace it with anything because mm -hmm. I didn't need one in my mind. I was just going to go into politics. So once I knew I was going into the ministry, I needed to go to a school that was going to give me some theology because I didn't really have one. Um, I had the kind of typical functional Jesus loves me theology that's, that's beautiful in its simplicity, but not really what you're looking for in your pastor. Right? You want your pastor to 
have, you know, like you go to a doctor, you want them to have gone to medical school. Right. Right. So Westminster was where I ended up. And there's another story in how my wife actually encouraged me to do that. So I ended up at Westminster, did that for a few years. And while I was there, you know, I'm serving one church in another denomination. I'm attending a seminary that's very much in the OPC PCA world. And I didn't really feel comfortable in either camp. And I heard like whispers of this thing called the EPC out there. I'd never heard of it before in my life and uh, attended a Presbytery meeting. And at that Presbytery meeting, there was a, uh, a first candidate who was examined. It was a woman who was doing this great work, Bonnie Gatchel. Bonnie is the, the director of Route 1 Ministries yeah. out of the Boston area, which deals with women in the Northeast Corridor as it relates to trafficking. It's right. just an amazing person, amazing ministry. It was, it's, it was great to see her get examined. And the next guy that comes up is um, this very conservative cessationist, six-day creationist. And back to back, they both go through, they're both accepted into the presbytery. And I'm sitting there going, if both of these folks can get through and neither of them feel like they have to look over their shoulder, I'm in a place where I can feel at home. So the EPC, the EPC became my home and I love it. I, I chose it. There, that's part of my conviction towards the EPC is I'm like, I chose this home. I didn't grow up in it. I didn't grow up a Presbyterian. I, I purposefully chose this kind of a confessional denomination where Caring for one another and loving one another is a top priority right alongside our doctrinal convictions. There's a gift I can tell you, Marcus, of people who intentionally choose. I grew up in a Presbyterian home. My wife grew up in a Unitarian Universalist okay. home. You know, when she came to Christ, she didn't know what Reformed theology was. She just read the Bible and in our early dates, you know, she would be, we'd be talking about stuff. And I'd like, who taught you reform theology? She's like, what's reform theology? Right. You know, she just, she just knew the Bible. And so there is a, an advantage to those who kind of step into that tradition because you appreciate and you, you've made decisions around value and, and belief that you don't take for granted. Right. And, and people who've maybe grown up with it maybe don't always appreciate. So there's an intentionality there. There's a purposefulness there. And, and you've been super intentional and super purposeful about the places and the ways in which you've chosen to invest in the EPC. And I, and I just want to touch on those three today because I think they could sound like they're really diverse but they really aren't. They're really related, and they all kind of come out of your heart, and I think I just want people to get a flavor for that. So your involvement in world outreach, right. which happens at the local level and now on the global level, yep. so you have a kind of a global view of the church, and then you know your, your work with the Antioch Room, mm -hmm. which is much more kind of a one-on-one -on -one pastoral relationship, but with a particular kind of audience that is being cultivated with a degree of an intentionality. Right. And now this work with the the pastoral letter. Talk to us about how God and why God has called you into those three things and what that means for you to contribute to the larger church in those areas. Maybe because of the way I grew up. I, I grew up in, in not intentionally raised to be very individualistic, but just by nature. I was an only child living in a kind of a cultural way among people who had strong family ties or you know, they, they had a culture that they were living out. I didn't really have one. The family I felt closest to was in the UK. And I've always been attracted to a desire. To, uh, I've always had a desire to belong. 
I've always wanted to, to be a part of a larger community. Has that ever struck you as you've done your kind of ethnic journey in, in that that was something you lost by not being raised as a Mexican-American? Because the Latino community, Mexican community in particular, is, is very family-centric. Oh, yeah. There's this great sense of community belonging. And because you weren't grown up with that, there was maybe this piece of you inside that instinctively was looking for that. Absolutely. I, you know, I think I didn't grow up with the language. You know, so how is a cultural a culture is built around a language, around family structure, and and then normally around the table. Yeah. Right. I grew up with neither of those first two, no language and no family ties. I did enjoy the food, so I'm grateful for that. Yeah. But um, but that's part of living in in like that part just, of the yeah. country, right? That's, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know, I I think because I was looking for a place to belong, one of the things that attracted me to Christianity is its kingdom teaching that there is a kingdom that is global, right? That it is a kingdom that, that goes far beyond any national border. It's a kingdom that incorporates all nations into, into one person, Jesus Christ, right? It's, the salvation is all about union with Christ, and when we're all united in Christ, we are then united to one another, and we, have, we've, we fellowship with one another in that common bond that Christ has won for us. So it's cosmic, but it's also personal. Right. It's, it's a beautiful mix of the two. So I've always felt drawn to the nations, either in wanting to, initially it was a draw to the nations here at home. I wasn't all that interested in doing global mission work. I was interested in how do we foster racial reconciliation. Once I started to really develop an ethnic identity or, or realize what my ethnic identity was, I wanted to know why in the Church of Jesus Christ, at least in the United States, we're still so fragmented and why there is still so much racism in the church and why people are self-segregating, if not being purposefully excluded. And it felt contrary to this beautiful picture of the cosmic and the personal uniting in Christ. So for the longest time, I've, I've wanted to engage issues of justice, not because it's a great desire of mine, but because I feel a burden to do so. I would much rather spend my time talking about Trinitarian theology and, and getting into the to the nitty-gritty of Christ's atonement. I much prefer that conversation. But I have for a long time felt like we need to have the race conversation. We need to talk about issues of justice because there are so many people who are being hurt that if we don't, we're never going to be able to have those Trinitarian atonement type conversations rightly because well, there's so many people excluded from that conversation. And there's a richness to having that conversation when there's different people around the table. Right. Right. So that has led you to help formulate this thing called the Antioch Room. Could you tell us more about that? Yeah. So the Antioch Room was a group of us who got together on a couple of like Zoom calls and said, we need to, as a denomination, create space for people of color to just be people of color. You know, so the reality of our of our denomination is is overwhelmingly white, but more and more there is a a growing minority of people of color within the EPC. How do we create space so that people of color can speak not only to their own experiences, but speak to whatever theological issues they want to speak to? You know, a, a lot of times when when people of color are brought in to a conference or they're asked to write an article, they're asked to write about specifically those issues, racial issues or ethnic issues. But most of the people of color that I know in Presbyterian circles were in Presbyterian circles because of the theology. That's part of what lured us in. We want to talk about those things. So 
what the Antioch Room is, is it's a space where people of color are the primary voice in the room. Anybody can be there. When we meet at GA, we do a networking lunch. Anybody can be there, but the predominant voice in the room is people of color to talk about whatever it is we want to talk about that year. And the hope is that as that we use those lunch, those lunches as a launching pad for real good fellowship relationships among the people of color in the denomination. There is an experience that many of people people of color have that they can only share with other people of color, or, or at least they, they only feel safe sharing that initially. So when something happens in the nation or something happens in their church, who do they go to? If they're the only person of color on their session, if they're one of only a handful of, of uh, teaching elders who are people of color in their presbytery, if they have maybe a lot of other pastors or, or clergy people around in their city, but they're the only reformed voice, who do they go to? The Antioch Room wants to be that place where, you know, you go through something, there's a phone number you can call, right? We want to foster that kind of relationality nationally for people of color within the denomination. So the Antioch Room is just trying to build that on the grassroots level. And so what I have heard, Marcos, from a number of particularly younger pastors is that there's a great desire to cultivate that same kind of space in a lot of our congregations, not just a, a national gathering for, for, for people who want to be able to uh, process that or feel safe in, in experiencing and, and working through some of these things. But how do we shepherd people? How do we help shepherd our congregations through those conversations, through those spaces and times? And so this pastoral letter, it doesn't, it's not, it can't accomplish everything, right? That's too big of a topic. It's too complex. But to start with the idea of creating space in a local congregation where people can enter into lament. Can you speak to that as a, kind of a, an important step for, and I'm hearing a, a resonant theme in your story from your own growing up to this letter, which is a, a sense of belonging to God's family. Talk to me a little bit about the place where lament helps us to find a space where we can become family together. Family requires honesty. Right. In order to really foster a family, you a must healthy be family. a healthy there's family. A healthy family. There's, there's lots enough. of family that doesn't have honesty. Yep. But, but if you're going to be a healthy family, you, you have to be honest with one another. One would hope. Lament is the honest cry of the heart before the Lord that can be shared with others around you. Lament, I mean, not only do we have the book of Lamentations, but a third of the, of the Psalms are lament Psalms. It's the largest proportion to any other kind of Psalm in the entire Psalter. God expects that we are willing to pour out our grief and our frustration and our anger before the Lord. And he creates, I know this is, people make fun of this phrase, but he creates a safe place for us to be able to do that because he welcomes us in and expects that we're going to be able to be honest with him because he knows everything already, right? No purpose in hiding anything or holding any emotion back. What we can try and create in our local churches is a facsimile of that space, how can we create a space where people can feel the safety to fully, honestly pour out their grief and their pain? But it's not for the purpose of just pouring out your grief and your pain. That, that has to happen to be healthy. Right. But it points us, that, that healthy expression points us towards something beyond that because we don't just stay in that place. We don't too quickly jump to 
you know, the other place, I mean, I, the structure we've used is Psalm 13, which starts right. out, you know, with lament and it ends in hope. And, you know, we oftentimes want to run to hope and jump over the lament, but you, you know, it's like, you know, you got to go through good Friday before you get to Easter Sunday, you've got to go through, you know, the cross before you get the crown, all that kind of stuff. I mean, you've got to go to that space of lament in order to be able to authentically really embrace the hope that comes in the gospel. Well, the, the phrase that comes to mind is one that I'm just boldly just stealing from Young Life. is a regular phrase in the Young Life ministry is you earn the right to be heard, right? Lament is earning the right. We, we, we can't immediately, if you don't know people well enough, you can't just shift them to hope. You right. have to earn the right to be able to talk about the things of hope by hearing the story of lament. Right. And then you have the trust that's built so that when you say, yes, but look at Christ, it doesn't feel like a Jesus juke. It doesn't feel like, oh, well, you're not actually hearing me. You're just trying to get to, you know, the the rainbow at the end of all of this. Right. But if if you've been willing to sit with somebody as they share their pain, if you've been able to hear that story and weep with those who weep, then when you do get to that place of, well, let's talk about how the gospel brings us hope. Let's talk about this beautiful kingdom, this new creation that God is building amongst us. There's weight to that now. And we need that in community with one another. We especially need that in evangelism and in world missions. Yeah, I was just going to say, you know, the EPC has been our, our chosen tool of evangelism now is an adapted thing that we got from Family Church in South Florida called the Three Circles. Right. And the, the whole conversation that leads to that evangelistic conversation begins with brokenness, right? And so we're talking about a particular type of brokenness where if you can't lament with that person, then you really haven't earned the right to be heard right. in the gospel presentation because you want to be able to share with them the good news. But if you if you don't have that relational connection, then you never have the opportunity to really enter into their brokenness. And that's the thing. Jesus entered into our brokenness so we could receive the gospel, and we are supposed to enter into other people's brokenness so that they can receive the gospel. It, it, that's about right. It's I mean, it's, it's thoroughly incarnational. Right. God could have designed another means of redemption. But for whatever his purposes, he chose that the means of redemption would be his son entering into humanity and not entering into a palace, right, but entering into a, a poor family in Nazareth, which is a nowhere town, where Jesus experienced in, in every way that we can imagine the suffering of what it is to be human. He went through all of that, then suffered on the cross, then resurrection. Right. And and yes, regularly pointing us to a better way, pointing us to a kingdom, but not by skipping the lament and the suffering that is just part of the, the human experience in a fallen world. Well, and I think that pivotal moment, Marcos, when Jesus is on the cross, when you go from that deep, deep pain to the, the power and hope of the resurrection, the pivotal moment is Jesus actually crying out a psalm of lament right. at that very moment. Right. Yeah. So, so lament is central to our understanding of the gospel. And allowing the space for people to do that is going to be key if we're going to um, move forward as a denomination into the next generation of what it is to be the, a, a denomination in the United States. That's a great way to wrap it up. Thank you so much. So the recurring theme I heard from you, Marcos, is this sense of, of kingdom and belonging and the space to enter into where that can happen and using these biblical categories to help us get there, whether it's globally 
whether it's locally, whether it's denominationally, it's an individual, but it's a corporate, it's, it's, it's the kingdom. Amen. Yes. All right. Thanks, brother. It's been great having that conversation with you. And, it's been uh, great being here. Thanks for the invite. Got it, great. man. You got it. Well, my friends, that wraps up our conversation for today. I hope it's been a blessing and encouragement to you. And if you have uh, more questions or interest about that, you can reach Marcos at Goodwill Church, and you can go to their website. Just Google Goodwill Church, and Marcos Ortega and his information will pop up, and you can be in dialogue with him, or you can reach out to us here at the EPC, and we'll be able to continue that conversation with you. But please, of course, above all else, if you would, please be in prayer for this uh, committee that's writing this pastoral letter of racial lament and hope. We would so value that. Now to conclude, my friends, the good word from God's word as we always end, because it's always good to end on a good word. And that's what a benedict us is. Good word, God's word. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You see, he is before all things, and in him, that is our Savior Jesus, in him, all things hold together, for see, he is the head of the body, the church. Until the next time we gather, my friends, I bid you grace and peace. for joining us. On behalf of Dean and the entire team, we hope you will join us for our next episode of In All Things. For more information about the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, including a directory of local churches, online resources, and much more, visit our website at www.epc.org. I'm Rachel Joseph. I pray you have an overwhelming sense of God's presence in all things today.